Hello again to everyone. Hope you've had a wonderful week in our Lord Jesus Christ and thankful for his mercy, his grace, allowing us another opportunity to look into his precious word and study of the great work that God accomplished through Jesus for our salvation and for our atonement. <clears throat> so we started the day of atonement last time the one day of the year that Aaron, the high priest, was allowed to go in and offer uh, blood before the presence of God in the holiest of all and to bring atonement for the sins of the people. And we were looking last time, again in Leviticus chapter 16, and I'm just going to kind of pick up where we left off. So uh, if you haven't listened to the first uh, episode on the Day of Atonement. You might want to listen to that first. But we were looking at the, the goat that was chosen by Lot, the casting of a lot, for the Lord that was going to die for the atonement of the people. And that that blood of that goat made atonement for Israel, the holy place, the tabernacle, and the altar. And in that, that picture of just how polluting that sin is before God. God said, if you recall, of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, that it had come up before the Lord. And what a stink and an abomination that sin is before the Lord. And even the polluting of sin had polluted the altar and the tabernacle and the holy place where God dwelt just by being in the midst of the children of Israel. God hadn't sinned, but being there in the midst of the people, they were polluted. It was polluted by their sin. And in Romans chapter 7, I guess a, a very well-known scripture, verse 13, was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin, by the commandment, might become exceeding sinful. So the problem is that sin in the eyes of man isn't that bad. Specifically, my sin is not that bad. Now the sin of others, it's much worse, and it's evil, and it's dark. But when it comes to dealing with ourselves... We have a hard time seeing just how polluting that our sin is. So the commandment came that sin might appear to be sin, that I might see sin for what it actually is, and that sin that I don't think, well, that's not that bad, or I'm not as bad as others, that my sin might become exceeding sinful, that we might see the true blackness and darkness and wickedness of our nature and of our sin. And I believe that's what we have here in, in this, that the atonement being made for the holy place, the tabernacle and the altar, that polluting nature of sin was even transferred to the, the, uh, the holy place by being in the presence and in the midst of the people. In order for God to dwell among this people, there had to be atonement and bloodshed that even the holy place and the altar could be cleansed and atoned for. 
uh, the, the need of death and of blood. It's required. Sin's penalty is death. And that penalty must be paid or the law and justice is not met. Wherefore, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Sin is so dark that every sin must have blood shed for it. And our Lord Jesus Christ was the blood shed once for all that man could be atoned for and that we could be pure in God's sight. What a wonderful sacrifice and work that our Lord Jesus Christ accomplished that we could be cleansed and that we could be in God's family and in God's will. A wondrous work. Really, it's beyond our understanding. But again, thinking about the defilement of sin, he says in Isaiah, and you know, there's there's many places a man could look uh, and read, and I pray the Lord would reveal more in your mind as we talk about this. In Isaiah 24, verse 5, The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof, because they have transgressed the laws changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. So sin, it also defiles the earth. And when you think about now the sin of Adam in the garden, it didn't just affect Adam and Eve and the serpent, but the earth was cursed and death was introduced to all things on the face of the earth, all of the animals, all of the plants, death has crept in and the earth is defiled and waxing old. And that's a result of the defilement of sin. Sin is black and dark and wicked and there must be atonement made for every sin. What a picture and what a weight that God's justice must needs be satisfied. That's why without Jesus, there's no hope for man. He is the only method. This did not satisfy the justice of God. God winked at sin. God allowed it to be and allowed it to pass in the Old Testament days and accepted this as a pushing back but it was pushed back and the Lord Jesus bore the sin on the cross. He was the atonement even for these in the Old Testament. And we know the Holy Ghost signified that this did not atone because the next year they did it again. And they had to do it again every year that atonement could be made for sin. So also in those verses where we read last time, in verse, we're in Leviticus 16 again, verse number 17, and there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make an atonement in the holy place until he come out. So nobody's there to help him. He don't have any assistance. And God does not need man's help. The Lord Jesus 
doesn't need man's help. In John chapter 1, verse 13, and we kind of talked about this last time in another picture maybe, but in John 1, verse 13, which were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God is the one that draws, that saves, and that bears children into the kingdom of God and for the atonement as well. God don't need our help in atonement. In Acts 2.23, Him, Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. This was God's plan. It was God that laid it out. It was God that allowed it to be. It was God that brought it to pass. It was God that reconciled the world unto Himself through this work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't need man's help. He doesn't need man's help. And in Acts chapter 4 verse 10, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. This Lord Jesus, this work that God performed and brought to pass, this work, and you know the stone that the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes as the rest of that scripture in the Old Testament, God established him, and there's no other name, there's no other means, there's no other method for man to be saved. And we could look also in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So atonement, that was God's work. God performed and brought to pass atonement through our Lord Jesus Christ. He did not need our help to obtain that. The birthing of children Man has no part in that, and it's not by the will of man, but it's God that brings children into the family of God. And we could look, and I hate to read it again, we've read it so many times I feel like of late, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2 through 5, Paul's talking about him and his preaching at Corinth, that it wasn't with the wisdom of man's words, but it was in demonstration of the Spirit and power, not with enticing words. God doesn't need our help in enticing people to Him either. God will do the work. God is sufficient, God is able, and God doesn't need me to get my hands into the mix. We have a job to do. I'm not saying that we don't have a job to do. I'm not saying that we that skirts our responsibility to walk as we ought to walk. And I feel like we have a responsibility to get the Word of God out, whether it be through a podcast or at churches or at Liberty in Sunday school. We have a responsibility <clears throat> to get the Word of God out and rightly divide it, but the work of salvation and the work of drawing, the work of reviving, however you want to look at it, it's not by the enticement of man. It's by the will and by the working of God. And I promise, God's still sufficient to bring to pass His works as He sees fit, and God still to this day does not need me to help him get that done 
God will get that done. So that goat that died, his blood was placed for atonement. But also, we've got that second goat, the goat, the scapegoat, and that means the goat of departure or disappearance. So in verse 20, we see what happens with this goat. And when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. So the scapegoat is brought. Verse 21. And we're back in Leviticus 16. I'm sorry if I didn't say that. Verse 21. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat. And he shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities, unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let the goat go in the wilderness. So this scapegoat then is brought before the tabernacle. Aaron lays his head and confession is made. And what's happening here in a picture and in a figure, the sin of Israel being confessed before God is being transferred from Israel onto the head of this goat so that the sin of Israel is coming off of them and being placed on this goat as confession is made. So in Isaiah 53, the Lord Jesus, and we talk about the transaction and the transferal of sin. We've talked about that several times. But in Isaiah 53, verse number 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. So he lifted up, that's what born means, and he put them on his back, our griefs and sorrows. Those weren't his that he bore to the cross. It wasn't his griefs and sorrows that he carried on his back as he was wounded and beaten. No, in verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes are we healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So that transferal of sin, our guilt was transferred upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord carried those. The Lord bore those. He separated us from them. So you see this goat of disappearance, the sin being confessed, on its head. In a same picture, in a picture of our sin being laid upon the back of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Again in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, the Bible says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And one more time, and again, the disclaimer that there's many other places and examples than what we pick out and what we read here. 
that you could look at. In Hebrews 9, verse 28, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So the Lord Jesus there, the sin of man was placed on his back. There was a transferal of sin, and he bore them to the cross. It was our sin that caused him to be beaten. It was our sin that caused him to be bruised. It was our sin that caused him to bleed. It was our sin that took him to the cross. It was our sin that he died for. It was transferred and placed upon his head. But notice this also, that confession was required. And I'm going to read it again. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in their sins. So he's confessing all the iniquities and all the transgressions in sins. So in one sin, there may be many transgressions or breaking of the law. And confession was required in order for there to be a transferal. And God today still looks for our confession. So in Joshua chapter 7, and this was a scripture maybe that I didn't fully understand, even thought about it in the past, <clears throat> and couldn't understand exactly what it was saying. But I believe here we can see it. In Joshua 7, verse 20, Achan had buried the wedge of gold and the Babylonian garment and silver under his tent. He had been found out. And here he's confessing. And this is what he says. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And thus and thus have I done. So thus and thus, he's saying exactly what he's done. You know what God desires for us to be honest and that truth in the inward part and for us to confess before God what we truly are. And that's a struggle for man to confess. It's a struggle for man to even see what he is. And we see again in Luke chapter 8 that woman with the issue of blood, she touched the hem of his garment and she was made whole. She was already whole. But Jesus says, who touched me? <coughs> so they say, Lord, there's such a multitude here. How can you even say that? There's no telling out of this crowd who touched you. And But we know. We know what he's talking about. He knows somebody got healed. And what's he looking for? Confession. He's looking for her to tell what she was, what she was doing, and what he had done for her. Now, do you reckon that's still important today, that there be confession made? In Psalms 32, this is Old Testament again, but we'll, we'll tie it all into the New Testament because it's in the New Testament as well. In Psalm 32, verse number 4, the Bible says, For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest. 
the iniquity of my sin. And so, David, the hand of God was heavy on him, and he was drought, his moisture was turned into drought. God's hand was upon him, convicting him, troubling him. What was God looking for? For David to come honest before him and confess his sin and iniquity unto God. Now God's not doing this to be mean. God's willing to forgive sin. If man would be willing to confess and agree with what God says about him. That's what the word confess means. In Proverbs 28, the wisest man that lived, he wrote these words. Proverbs 28, verse 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Now here we can go back and tie back into Achan now. Achan did confess. He admitted what he was, he admitted what he done, and thus and thus have I done. But it was too late then. He had tried to cover it, he had tried to hide it, he had tried to uh, prevent man from finding it out. But be sure of this, your sin will find you out. And it found Achan out, and Achan had to confess, and then he was destroyed. But you know, if we won't try to cover it, if we'd be honest and confess, there could be mercy had. If Achan had been willing to confess what he had done before this day, he could have found mercy. I believe that. I believe that Achan could have had mercy, but instead he thought he could skirt by and keep it hid and not have to admit what he had done. In Romans 10, verse 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made, to salvation. So just believing enough, not by the word of God, there'll be a, a agreeing from the mouth of man of the work that God's done in the inward man. And if there's no confession, if I'm not willing to agree with God with my mouth, then how can there be any salvation? There were those in Jesus' day in the Gospel of John <coughs> that believed, but they did not confess because they didn't want to be thrown out of the temple because the Bible says they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So they kept their mouth shut and they never confessed what God had revealed to them. Confession is required. I'm going to have to come honest and humble and agree with what God says about me unto him. In First John chapter 1, I believe we can see it as plain as it can be seen. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Plain as day. The man that tries to cover, well, he's a liar. The man that says, I've not transgressed, he's a liar. But if we confess, he is faithful and just. He's trustworthy and fair by the law to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he's, he's trustworthy. If we're willing to come clean and confess before God, that word means to express approval, to agree with. If we'll agree with what God says and admit and confess our sins unto him, he's trustworthy to forgive us and he's fair by the law to do it because Jesus, our atonement, has suffered to pay for those.
If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I write these things unto you that you sin not. See, that'd be good. It'd be good for us if we didn't sin. But we do sin. But thank God for this. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with a father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation, the atonement, the appeasement of the wrath of God. He is the method for us to be atoned for. And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. So God is seeking for me to be honest, to be humble, and to confess. Now that does not mean that I have to go in before the pastor, before the priest, or even stand up before the church and tell all of the filthy and ungodly things that I've done before the ears of man. I do believe this. I will stand up before man and before the church, and I will confess that I was a sinner, that I was wicked, that I was the chiefest of sinners, and that God saved me. I will do that. But there must be confession before God. And you know, I, I don't say that, that I've got to remember everything I've done because there's no way that I can remember ever sin and transgression that I've ever committed. And neither can you. But I'm going to have to come clean about what I really am. And I'm going to have to admit that before God. That God, everything you say about me and your word by the Spirit is the truth. And without confession, there can't be any salvation. And so the transferal of that sin takes place in Leviticus 16. Confession is made. The sin is transferred. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited. And he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. So this is done by the hands of a fit man. Uh, and I'm sorry again. That was Leviticus 16 verse 22. So the goat now has the sin transferred upon him. And he's going to be led out of the camp. He's going to be led into the wilderness and he's going to be let go. He's not going to be found again. So what's the picture there? He's bearing the sin of the people and taking it away from where they are. So in Jeremiah 50, you talk about this perfect atoning work of Christ. And in Jeremiah, he's looking forward again to the work that Christ is going to accomplish. And this is what he says in verse number 20. In those days and in that time, saith the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for, and there shall be none. And the sin of Judah, and they shall not be found, for I will pardon them whom I reserve. We talked about the choice of God last time. Well, here's the choice of God here. God's going to pardon whom he reserves, whom he chooses, whom he lays aside. But the sin's going to be searched for and not found. Well, that's the same as this goat. The goat's going to bear it out, and it's not going to be found again. It's not going to turn into the camp, but the sin is being sent away. Well, our sin laid on the back of the Lord Jesus. He paid for it, done away with it, so that sin might be completely done away with and never brought up another time. How wonderful is that? How Have, have you ever found forgiveness? Even in those that you love the most, 
that it's never brought up again. That's the forgiveness that God gives. He says in Micah chapter 7 verse 19 that he's going to cast them into the sea. Now you know in our day, you may cast something into the sea. We may have robotics. We may have a method of getting down there and getting it. But in this, in the day that was written, man didn't have that. And when God says they're cast into the depths of the sea, they're gone forever. They'll never be recovered. And in Christ Jesus, that's where man's sin is. And it's so sure. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? So, you can accuse me of sin, and if you follow me long enough, you're going to see me sin. But before God, through the offering of Jesus Christ, I am clean of my sin. I don't know why people have a hard time believing that, but there's many people that have a hard time believing that Christ has atoned for every sin. But now before God, Who's going to lay anything to the charge on the account of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. So who's going to lay anything to the account of God's elect if they're accountable unto God and God has justified them? Not one. If God's declared them innocent, then who's going to make them guilty? If God has cleansed them, who's going to bring anything to their charge? Their sin through Jesus Christ that died, yea, rather, and is risen again at the right hand of God, through Him we are justified and our sins will not be brought to our account ever again. So much so that in Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Those that are in Christ their sins are cast into the sea. They're without the camp, never to be brought up in his face another time. The devil, the old accuser, even he can't bring anything against us if God justifies us through the work of Christ. And as we've been looking in Sunday school in Romans uh, 3, that he's just and the justifier... God justifies man, but not in a manner that's opposed to the law. He justifies us rightly through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. One more place in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 14. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now if you can worm it in and make me guilty, out of this verse, then I'll agree with you. But by the word of God, his one offering on the cross of his body, his death 
and his resurrection in victory. He hath perfected forever, not for a short span of time, not for a few years, not for what I committed in the past, but he hath forever perfected them that are sanctified in Jesus Christ. Christ's work brought a complete removal of sin upon them that are sanctified through his blood. Now he's going to quote in verse 15, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before. So he's saying the Holy Ghost is a witness to this because it was written before. Now this is Old Testament scripture. He's going to quote scripture here. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. The sins are done away with, not to be remembered or brought up any more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. If God in Christ has done away with my sin, what more am I going to offer to pay for my sin? They're either done away with or they're not. Well, God said that those that are sanctified, those that are saved by the operation of God, their sin is removed. They're no longer guilty. Nobody can bring charge against God's elect. And if they're done away with, if they're forgiven, if the, the work of Christ has atoned for those sins, there is no more offering. There's nothing else required. Nothing else that needs to be done. Their sin is done away with in Jesus Christ. And, verse 19, Having therefore, brethren, boldness. We don't have to fear any longer. But because Christ's work was complete and the sins of man were removed and done away with, cast into the sea, laid on Christ's back and transferred to him because he bore the sin of man to the cross of Calvary, we don't have to fear coming before God any longer, but we can come with boldness. And because Christ ever liveth, those that come to him are saved to the uttermost. A complete work, a complete removal of sin, a complete removal of guilt, all through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for another study. We'll look again. We'll still be in this atonement. Um, next time. So thankful for you listening, for you taking your time to listen to us. It's very humbling to us. And I, I, I pray and desire that we could help you, that we could strengthen you, that you could grow in the Word of God and that God could somehow use us to, to be a strength to you and, and to bless your heart. So we appreciate you very much. Thank the Lord for you. And do pray for us.